Today on the Matt Wall Show, a pop singer lasts about half a week after provocatively declaring that women are females. Her cave and surrender were pathetic and embarrassing and inevitable. Also, today we're going to talk about why cowards like this are the real villains here, I think. Also, as the Biden administration tries to recover from Biden's Ron Burgundy moment, the contents of Hunter Biden's iCloud are allegedly leaked on 4chan. A female soldier openly questions her loyalty to her country after Roe was overturned. After years of bragging about all of its women priests and bishops, the Church of England now says that the word woman has no definition, so that's a little bit awkward. And in our daily cancellation, the mainstream media finally acknowledged what is a woman while I was away on vacation. The resulting hit piece is even more disingenuous and ridiculous than you might expect. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, our nation's authorities are now openly admitting to having completely missed the flashing red lights of inflation and this administration's failed economic policies. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen admitted she was wrong about the path inflation would take. She said, quote, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that at the time I didn't fully understand, admitting that herself. Well, there you have it straight from the horse's mouth. I didn't fully understand, she says. Not the only thing that this administration doesn't understand. Now, uh, I know you're worried about affording basic necessities in the months to come, food, gas, shelter, everything else, but uh, she didn't know. You know, it's not her fault. She just didn't know. It goes without saying that you can't trust the so-called authorities on economic policy, which is why you should invest at least some of your money in gold and silver with Birch Gold Group. Protect your savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying your 401k or IRA into physical gold. It's not too late for you to take action right now Text Walsh to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals. Birch Gold Group is an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers as well. So text Walsh to 989898 and get real advice from Birch Gold today. Again, text Walsh to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. Well, I officially returned to uh, my show from vacation today, which means that in preparation for this event, I had to make my official return to Twitter yesterday. I had only ventured you know, back into that overflowing cyber septic tank for a few hours before my name was trending. And I thought that at first you know, I was trending because everybody was welcoming me back with well wishes and warm salutations and all of that. But it turns out that um, most of the messages were considerably less friendly. I guess that's no surprise on second thought. The conversation seemed to revolve around a brief argument that I had with J.K. Rowling on Sunday because, of course, the first thing that I do when I come back from vacation and I'm really well-rested is I, I pick a fight with a random famous person. But before we get to that, we need to back up all the way to uh, ancient history, which was last Tuesday when I was still out fishing and the singer Macy Gray was igniting a media firestorm by controversially suggesting that women exist. So during her appearance on Piers Morgan, where I think she was promoting an album or something like that, she, uh, the, the conversation kind of drifted to the topic of gender. And Morgan posed the ultimate question, of course, the question of our generation, which um, uh, Gray had at first no trouble answering at all. I'm sure you've heard this, this clip already, but uh, let's play it again just for our own enjoyment. Here it is. If I asked you what a woman is, what would you say? Let's say uh, a human being with uh, boobs. <laughs> you have to start there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the dictionary is quite straightforward. It just says a, a human adult female, yeah. right? No, a lot of people... Yeah, see, that's, now that's a little getting confusing. The whole he, she, they, that's, that's going to... And I'm not rap. sure why, really. It's, it's a bit like this whole issue of, of transgenders mm. in sport. Because I, I support all trans rights to fairness and equality. Me too. But not where you have people born to obvious physical superior bodies. Me too. Transitioning and then thrashing the women at their sport. I totally agree. And I, I will say this, and everybody's going to hate me, but as a woman, just because you go change your parts doesn't make you a woman. Right. Sorry. You feel that? I know that for a fact. Mm. Like, if you want me to call you a her, I will, because that's what you want. But that doesn't make you a woman just because I call you a her and just because you got a surgery. So thus began the usual circus routine. After saying this objectively true and normal thing, Gray was reviled by the left, slammed as a transphobe and a bigot, and she's 
you know, well, she's she's marginalizing and erasing trans people through her refusal to allow women to be marginalized and erased. That's basically the accusation. And meanwhile, on the other side of it, the, the right hailed her as a hero, you know, a, a courageous warrior triumphing over cancel culture. Uh, she was applauded for, for standing firm and, and being bold in the face of the backlash. But the applause, as is almost always the case, unfortunately, came too soon. Uh, Gray made it all of about three days before buckling. And on Thursday of the very same week, the singer made the traditional pilgrimage to a morning TV show to express her deep regrets and sorrow and to beg for absolution. She explained that over the previous couple of days, the experience of having a bunch of blue-haired freaks scream, screaming at her had been very educational and it had been very enlightening. She'd learned a lot from the blue-haired freaks. That's my words, not hers. I'm paraphrasing. In fact, she learned that um, everything she thought she knew about the world was wrong. Uh, biology is a myth and that she, as a woman, doesn't actually exist. She learned all of this in two or three days. And they had taught her this by crying and screaming. It was the most educational temper tantrum she'd ever witnessed, apparently. Let's watch that. I never, of course, meant to hurt anybody with, with uh, what I said. I'm a... I'm actually a huge, uh, I think it takes a lot of courage to be yourself, to, to, to go out in the world and be honest about who you are. And uh, so I think anyone who is uh, in the LGBT community is a hero and, and sets an example for all of us with that, you know? Um, so I said some things uh, that, that uh, didn't go over well. But um, my intention was never to, to hurt anybody. I feel bad uh, that I did hurt some people. And, and I think it's, it's um, you know, just about education. It's about conversation and, and us getting to a point where we understand each other. And, and, um, and, and that, that only happens with, you know, I've, I've learned a lot through this. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was one of the reasons uh, it might have happened. Just it was a, a huge learning experience for me. You know what? I, I think you 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 can, like I said in there, you can call yourself what, like you you whoever you believe you are, mm -hmm. and and no one can dictate that for you or take that away from you. You yeah. know. I think life is an education process. The more you sit yeah. with people, the more you talk to people, it changes your perspective. So has has your perspective changed? Do you feel? I've, I've learned so much, and I, and I think, um, you know, being a woman is a vibe, and it's something mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of, and it's, it's very precious to me, and, and I, I think that if you, in your heart, feel that that's what you are, then that's what you are, regardless of what anybody says mm -hmm. or thinks, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a good thing, you know, that all the groveling bases were covered there. She didn't skip any of the steps. She was very thorough in that way. Uh, the script was followed with precision. Uh, and, and though we, we've grown so accustomed to seeing this pageant of humiliation play out, it never gets any easier to watch, at least not for me anyway. Each time I feel like I'm watching somebody cut their own heart out of their chest. It's grotesque and disgusting and humiliating, but weirdly fascinating. You're just kind of glued to the screen watching this sick display. Um, and you, you can't look away as much as you want to because we know the steps here. Step one. The penitent claims that she's learned a lot and she's been educated. That's the necessary first step. Never explains what she's learned exactly or how she learned it or exactly what insights her critics offered to her. That's because there was, there was no insight unless guttural screaming and demonic convulsing counts as an insight. I don't know. And then step two, she, she flatters the rage mob. You know, she lays down her offerings at their feet. She bows before them in worship, adoring them, declaring, in this case, that everybody in the LGBT community is a hero, all of them. Because, um, of course, it requires true heroism to belong to the most protected, privileged, and coddled, and applauded group of people to ever exist on planet Earth. That, that requires heroism to do that. And then step three, she finally and fully renounces all of her past beliefs. She renounces reality and truth itself. She renounces, renounces her own existence really, proclaiming that contrary to what she had always thought up until about breakfast time that morning, there is no objective or biological basis to womanhood. Being a woman is, as she put it, uh, a vibe. 
You know, it's just a vibe. A woman isn't anything. But, you know, if you feel like you are one, then you are one. And what you are is nothing. All women are nothing. And everybody is invited to join them in their nothingness. Now, of course, if being a woman is just a vibe, then it doesn't really make a lot of sense for men to take drugs or get surgeries as part of their transition process. There is no such thing as a vibe surgery. You can't surgically implant or remove a vibe, right? You can't go to the doctor and say, uh, you know, I, 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 I want to have a certain vibe. Can you give me a certain... That doesn't make any sense. If it's all about the vibe, if it's about the feeling, then the whole gender transition industry makes no sense and it's built on a false premise. So it turns out that either way, whether the claims made by gender ideology are wrong or right, the whole process of gender transition is nonsensical and false, either way. But as we've learned, um, we cannot expect the proponents of this idea to notice these kinds of contradictions or care about them if they do notice them. This all brings us back to the beginning of our story. Um, I criticized Macy Gray for, you know, on Twitter for being a gutless coward, which is what she is. And uh, after some pushback to that, I tweeted this. I said, sorry, but women who publicly renounce the definition of woman for fear of mean comments from trans activists deserve all the scorn they get. That kind of gutless cowardice is exactly what got us into this position in the first place. That's what I said. Okay. Now, a little while later, J.K. Rowling, who famously has stood up courageously against the trans mob, uh, responded to me with a defense of Gray and of other women who have similarly folded like cheap lawn chairs. Rowling tweeted in response to me, she said, endless death threats and rape threats, threats of loss of livelihood, employers targeted, physical harassment, family addresses posted online with pictures of bomb-making manuals aren't mean comments. If you don't yet understand what happens to women who stand up on this issue, back off, she said, talking to me. Now, lots of other feminists in the so-called TERF camp or the gender-critical camp, as they prefer to call themselves, most of them, they've echoed and agreed with this sentiment from Rowling. In fact, um, I've heard this from feminists quite a lot since my film came out, uh, that, that it's easy for me. They say, uh, I, I don't know what it's like, okay? Um, I don't have to make the same kind of sacrifices. I don't put the same things on the line. I, I don't get treated the same way. Nobody attacks me the way they attack women who speak out. And now Rowling, whose courage on this issue, I, as I said, I really respect, and I've said that many times, is singing the same tune. But she's completely wrong, of course. And, and it just shows how feminists who criticize the trans agenda, even though they're right about the issue of transgenderism, they're still hamstrung and handicapped by left-wing identity politics and victimology. They can't accept an alliance with a man because they resent us for our perceived privilege, even though it's a privilege they've completely invented in their heads. Because the fact is that nearly everything she describes, um, the things that I can't understand, supposedly, because they only happen to women, supposedly, they have happened to me with great frequency and ferocity, I would say, over the past month and before that, but especially over the past month. I've had many death threats. I've been doxxed many times. Okay, I don't, I don't, the thing is, I don't talk about these things a lot. I mention them here and there. I don't spend a lot of time talking about them, but I can assure you they are happening. Uh, I've been threatened, harassed, insulted. They've tried to deplatform me. They've tried to get me fired. They've tried to get my advertisers to boycott me, et cetera, and so forth, over and over and over again. Um, I don't doubt at all that trans activists are vicious monsters towards any woman who defies them. But the operative aspect there is defies them, not woman. They cannot tolerate defiance from anyone. The survival of their fragile worldview, as we've seen, depends on silencing all of the opposition, no matter who it's coming from. doesn't matter if it's the idea that if it's coming from a, from a white conservative man that they're going to lay off. No, he's good. He's one of the good ones. Let's leave him alone. It's just, uh, it's hilarious. But here's the thing. If I had over the past month or any, if I, any time in the future, cave to the mob and pull a Macy Gray, I would deserve scorn too. Endless amounts of it. Okay. I, I would tell, I'm telling you right now, if I ever were to do that, you should scorn me and despise me for that. 
Now, it's not going to happen, happen, I can assure you of that, because I would quite literally rather be dead than surrender to these people. I'd rather take a bullet to the head than debase myself the way Macy Gray did, and it wouldn't even be a difficult choice. But if that were not the case, and I crumbled under the onslaught and turned traitor on truth for the sake of protecting myself, I would be a, I would be, uh, a, a, a worse villain in this story than any individual trans militant. Because, as I said in the original tweet, the cowards are the ones who got us into this mess. Why is that? Well, because there were never enough, and still are not enough, trans militants to forcibly drag our society into the mass epidemic of madness that we're currently experiencing. They can't do it on their own without our consent. As much as they would like to, as much as they're trying to, they can't. In order for this to happen, it has, it has required and will continue to require the acquiescence of countless people who know better, who know the truth, but implicitly, or in many cases explicitly, renounce and disavow that knowledge in order to preserve their own comfort and their own safety. But most of the time, it's just their own comfort, because most of the time, their safety is not really in jeopardy. Sometimes it is, but in most cases, it's not. You know, I really don't think that anyone was going to go kill Macy Gray because of a, because of a, you know, a one-minute conversation she had on Piers Morgan. I wouldn't put anything past these people, but I really doubt that was going to happen. What she was trying to protect was her financial security and just her comfort. And, and really, she just wanted to get along with her Hollywood friends and her friends in the music industry. And that's what she was trying to protect. Every time a coward collapses like this, betraying themselves and all the rest of us on the team common, you know, on team common sense when they, when they, when we are betrayed in this way, as we are so often. They only make it that much harder for whoever the mob turns its sights on next. So it's not a victimless crime here. The mob is emboldened and fueled by every person who sells their souls to it. They are vultures who feed on the dignity that you abandon and leave on the floor. They, they feast on your subservience and your submission and your self-debasement. The only way to stop them is to starve them of this fuel, is to look them in the eyes and say, no, I apologize for nothing. I am right. You are wrong. Now go scream about it some more, you damned hobgoblins. I don't care. You don't scare me. And laugh in their face. That's how you handle it. Anything less than that, and you're part of the problem. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, if you like skydiving, great, but you got to get your will finalized before you go skydiving. It's just a fact that 100% of people who skydive and 100% of people who breathe will die. Okay. In fact, 100% of people who do anything at all, anywhere will die. So whether you're going out with a bang skydiving, you're going to live another hundred years or whatever it is, a will isn't about you. It's about your loved one. It's about, it's about uh, the really hard decisions they need to make if something were to happen to you. Don't make your family make hard decisions when all they should be focused on is grieving. Instead, give them all the answers like life support or pull the plug, buried or cremated. I mean, if you die skydiving, there's not going to be a life support issue because you're just going to be a pancake on the ground, but you get it. There's a lot of decisions to make. Um, Whatever it happens to be, you need to have the will in place. But here's the deal. The judge who it takes over, if you don't have a will, they don't know who your best friend is or who you trust to raise your kids. The fact is, a will is something that can take as little as five minutes to set up. And if you don't do it, you're acting selfishly. So go to epicwill.com, use promo code Walsh, and I'll even save you 10%. I mean, come on, you can literally have a comprehensive will starting at $119. And if you don't have a will, you're gift wrapping money to the state by letting the state use its will to decide everything for you. Don't trust the state to make any decision for your family. Go to epicwill.com, use promo code Walsh, and just get it done. All right, well, as uh, mentioned, I was on vacation last week. I didn't tell you I was going on vacation because I thought that it'd be best for you to experience the trauma unexpectedly. And so that's the strategy I went with. And in fact, I'm still sort of on vacation. Not really, at least I'm, I'm in the place where I was vacationing. And I asked the Daily Wire, could I stay here for a few more, like a couple more weeks and, and do the show from here? And they very eagerly and quickly said yes. And at first I was happy about that, but then I was sort of offended that they were so eager and happy for me not to be there. I try not to think about it very much. Um, anyway, the drive up here was 
It was about 20 hours, um, uh, all told, which we did, you know, with stops, which we did in two, about a day and a half with four kids. And um, it was a little rough, I'll be honest with you, for the first 17 hours, but we really hit a stride after that point, I think. The worst thing that happened, though, on the way up here is, um, and this is about, seven, I don't know, like 18 hours into it, and we were just disheveled and annoyed and everything, as you can imagine. And we stopped at a, at a, uh, a Chick-fil-A, and I, I'm in the parking lot with my kids. My wife had to run in to you know, go to the bathroom. And uh, I'm like yelling at my kids because just because we've been in the car for 18 hours and they were and they were going out of their minds insane. So I'm trying to it's like I'm scolding them in that sort of helpless way that you do when you're in a car with them and there's nothing you can there's no way to really punish them you know immediately anyway. And so I'm doing that and then I look over and there's this car parked right next to us, looking at me like kind of smiling because they're fans of the show and they're witnessing all of this. And um, and so then we had a little bit of an awkward conversation, but then. The worst part about this, and I just have to tell you this, I was waiting for this to be a scandal and everyone to find out about it, but now, now I'm just going to tell you myself. The worst part is, what I thought about afterwards, is that I was sitting in the passenger seat of the car and my wife came in and sat in the driver's seat. And we had this conversation with them and they didn't say anything, but I can only imagine if they're members of the Sweet Baby Gang, the judgment they must have been thinking in their heads towards me, that I was not driving the car. And I just want to say for the record, I did 18 hours of this drive. After that, I said, fine, I'll let my wife drive because I might fall asleep and kill everybody if I don't. So I, I did make that decision. But I, would not, uh, I wouldn't begrudge them thinking less of me after seeing that because I would. Anytime I see a man not driving his own car, I, I judge him. And, and then so I guess this is, what I, this is like punishment for the, from the universe. And it sends a message. That uh, what I should have done is put my own pride and masculinity above safety. That's what I should have done. I made the wrong choice and I paid for it. All right, so let's start with this. This is a good way to start off, I think. Kamala Harris was interviewed on CBS over the weekend and had another moment of sheer articulate brilliance. And I, I don't know, each one just gets better than the last, in my opinion. Uh, let's, let's watch this. Check it out. Did Democrats fail past Democratic presidents, congressional leaders, to not codify Roe v. Wade over the past five decades? I do believe that we should have rightly believed, but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled. Clearly we're not. No, that's right. And that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled times. Brilliant. So... Just a quote, I do believe that we have rightly believed, but we certainly believed that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled. And that's why I do believe that we are living in real unsettled times. Remember what I told you, okay? This is the only way to understand Camilla. Well, not understand her. That's not exactly the right word I'm looking for. Um, this is the, well, it's, it's a way of not, it's, it's not a way of understanding the meaning behind her words because there is no meaning. But it's a way of understanding why she has no meaning when she speaks. You know, why is she babbling? And it's because, as I've told you, and you really heard it there, I think perfect example of it is that she never knows what word she's going to say next. Okay. Each, every time she speaks for her speaking is a, is a, is a continuous game of word association. And so she just throws one word out there and it's, it's just a journey. She just decides what word's going to be next and she stitches it together throws a period in there, a question mark in there, but it doesn't really mean anything and she's just saying words. Um, but that's why you find she gets into, into these rhythms where she'll use the same word over and over again in slightly different contexts. And it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's just word association. She's just kind of freestyling as she goes. That's the way she speaks. Um, and it's, it's, it is in some ways kind of remarkable. Um, and I guess this is what happens when you are totally vacuous. You have nothing to say. You have no content at all inside your head. Now, that's not, that's not remarkable for a politician. That's the case for most of them. That's why I hate almost all of them. But then on top of that, you have no BS game whatsoever. You are, you are not a BS artist. Okay, You are very much an amateur. So when you're not able to BS your way through it, now most politicians are at least decently okay at that part of it, uh, but yet you have nothing to say. You end up with Kamala Harris. And this, though, did not manage to overshadow, I think, the Ron Burgundy moment from Joe Biden, which I want to play this clip because then it ties into another 
story that I want to talk about. Um, and I'm sure you've heard this already, but we're going to play it again just for, again, for our own enjoyment. Here's Joe Biden reading the prompters a few days before this verbatim and, um, and, and literally, including the stuff that's supposed to be parenthetical that he wasn't supposed to read out loud, but of course he did. Let's, let's listen to that again. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Women are not without electoral and or political or, or maybe precise, not and or or political power. That's another saying that you, the women of America, can determine the outcome of this issue. Now, as the Federalist reports, the White House uh, over the last few days, they've tried to clean that up a little bit. And they actually changed the official White House transcript. Anytime the president speaks, you can uh, go to the, the White House website and they have official transcripts of whatever he said. <clears throat> and for the, you know, the person transcribing Joe Biden, it's always that's always a challenge, just like the the sign language interpreter is in a very challenging position with Joe Biden, and the person transcribing him is in a challenging position also. So they misquote him as saying, end of quote, let me repeat the line. But he didn't say, let me repeat the line. He just said, repeat the line, because that was the prompter, the person behind the prompter instructing him, repeat the line he just said. Instead, he just, he just read it out loud. Now, this to me, this kind of story, to me, is even bigger than this, which I'll, which I'll get to now. This is Washington Examiner. It says a lot of this is, uh, there's a lot of this that still has not been officially confirmed and all of that. And, uh, and you know, to, to the extent that we wait for the mainstream media to officially confirm anything, that just means that it never will be. That's always the position we're in whenever there's embarrassing information about a, a Democrat circulating out there. But this is what the Washington Examiner reports. They say, the contents of Hunter Biden's iCloud account have allegedly been hacked by users of the 4chan community who posted screenshots purported to be from his phone, from Hunter Biden's phone, and his computer on the website's main political forum late Saturday night. Administrators on the image board moved quickly in the hours after the content was posted to pull down threads that included materials from the alleged leak, leaving many on the site, which is known for featuring some of the most salacious subject matter on the internet, furious. Um, there's been no... Of course, the White House has not issued any statement about this whatsoever. The content of the leak could not immediately be verified by the Washington Examiner, and a White House representative did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Big surprise there. It was also not immediately clear if the contents of the 4chan leak included any materials from the younger Biden's infamous laptop, of which the Washington Examiner verified the authenticity earlier this year. So there's a lot of, um, again, supposedly from, from Hunter Biden's iCloud account, Someone over 4chan was able to hack into it, and they released a lot of stuff, and it's circulating out there on the internet. Uh, it's incredibly embarrassing and disgusting and criminal. There's videos, allegedly, of Hunter Biden. There's one where he, I have to keep saying allegedly, put the scare quotes around that, um, where he's measuring out crack, appears to be measuring out crack on like a scale, and he, and he, and he takes a, a video of him. He films himself measuring out the crack, and then I guess, arguing with his crack dealer about whether it's, you know, enough crack. So even though this is from 4chan and it has not been independently verified, it, 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 my interpretation personally is that the images and the videos and everything do seem to be very legitimate. I mean, it just appear either that or it's the most, it's either, either the content is legitimate or it's the most deviously and expertly done, um, you know, Photoshop fake that we've ever seen. It's like one of those two options, but it appears to be pretty real to me anyway, right? And yet, um, I still think the bigger story is the teleprompter thing or, or things similar to that with Joe Biden. He falls off a bicycle. That's the bigger story to me. Because I continue to believe that the best argument against Joe Biden, the most potent criticism, is that he is a senile incompetent destroying the country. That's it. He's senile and incompetent. That's why he can't even read a prompter. He can't ride a bicycle without falling off of it. And he's destroying the country. I mean, he's the worst president in American history. He's had the worst first two years, first half a term or whatever, almost half a term, that we, we've ever seen. 
He's done more damage in, in, in two years than any politician has ever been able to do in, in this country. Not an exaggeration. I don't even think that there's, there might be a little bit of competition for that, for that title, but, but not much. I think he's, he's pretty far ahead of the pack. And that's what matters to, about him for me. Um, not so much that his son is a crackhead. Now, that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. It is relevant. If all of this stuff is legitimate, then there's a lot. I mean, you have, you have crimes being committed by the president's son, who's, by the way, not in jail. That's relevant. It's an issue of law and order, of justice. Um, also, when you want to look into ties between, you know, the, all the different ways. I mean, that's his son we're talking about, but all the business ties and everything that link them together. Um, so it's not that it's irrelevant. It's just that, especially from a political standpoint, it requires explanation. Like when you, when you go to the average person who doesn't follow this stuff very closely, and especially as we get into 2024 and the, the election cycle, if he actually runs again, and you're trying to explain to this person like why they shouldn't vote for Biden, we, we don't want Biden in office again. Uh, if you lead with Hunter Biden, the, the average person is going to say, well, that's just, that's his loser kid. Like that doesn't, why, how does that affect anything? How does that tie to him? How does he have anything to do with that? Well, he does have something to do with it, but then you got to explain it. And it becomes this kind of circuitous path you have to follow. And meanwhile, over here, you've got this really solid, understandable case. And things like the teleprompter, they put it in front of everybody's face in a a really clear way that this guy is senile and incompetent, and he's doing a horrible job, and he's destroying the country. That's what we should be hammering out. I made the same point during the 2020 election cycle. When Hunter's laptop came out, yeah, it's a story. It's relevant. Uh, became an even bigger story, but in the ways that big tech tried to censor it. Um, this kind of conspiracy between big tech and media and, and the Democrats and all that, that was a big story. But as I said at the time, that can't be our closing argument going into the election because it's not the most powerful one. The most powerful one is Joe Biden himself, this guy himself. I still think that the, the case, that's the case here, which means we talk about it, but I don't want to get, especially as we get into election se- seasons and we go back to the Hunter Biden thing, it just makes me nervous because I'm like, are we going to distract ourselves from the fact, from just hammering on the fact over and over and over again, the president is senile, has no idea what he's doing and is ruining the country. Even if all of his children are totally squared away, you know, d- d- that still would be the case. All right, let's move to this. So a female army soldier has recorded a TikTok video questioning her own loyalty to the United States because of the Roe decision. And this is the kind of thing, this is the woke privilege that you have that you can record a video like this, active duty military, and put it out on the internet with no fear of of anything happening to you. And so here's what she posted. Look at this. I have thoughts. I have thoughts and I have questions. It happened. It happened. I woke up from a nap to this. On deployment, I woke up from a nap to this news. America is waking up to this news. I just extended my contract to continue serving this country a week ago. How am I supposed to swear to support and defend the Constitution? and a country that treats its women like second-class citizens. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that with pride? How am I supposed to do that with love and honor? How am I supposed to wake up every day and put on a freaking uniform that says United States Army when the United States doesn't even give a rat's ass about me? It gives more of a rat's ass about the guns they're allowed to buy that kill the children that I'm forced to give birth to. Think about that. Oh, that's so funny. Think about it. You know, think about that utter total nonsense. It really gives you something to think about, I guess. This is, uh, of course, now, I, I just looked up for an update and I didn't, I didn't see one. So, because I'm, I'm naively, optimistically looking for some news that this woman is being at least reprimanded. I mean, she should be kicked out of the military. There's no question about that. Your, your active duty military 
and you're publicly declaring um, that you're not sure about your loyalty to the United States. You, you, are, you are publicly questioning your own loyalty to the, to the United States and questioning whether you can fulfill the, the oath that you took when you became a member of the military. And she's allowed to continue, of course, because this is, this is what happens. This is the consequence. Now, we're going we're to leave aside the, like, the content of everything she said, the claims she made. Obviously, all of that is just uh, total nonsense. Women are second-class citizens because they can't kill their children. No, that actually, as a woman, if you can't kill your children, then that puts you in the same class as everybody else. And everybody else only includes one other category, which would be men. Okay, we, That's the position that we've been in um, since, since the, the, the dawn of, of the nation. I mean, th- th- that's, that's the position we've always, always been in, which is that we cannot legally murder our children. Um, and that's the position that everybody should be in. You should not be able to legally murder your children. So that's the law that we've been under even after Roe v. Wade. But if you're a woman, then you had a, you know, about a half century period where you were put you were, in fact, made into, uh, you, you were put above men in that you were given this, this legal privilege, if we can even call it that. You, know, you became, you alone had authority over the life and death of your child and in a way that the, 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 the father of the child could not participate. So removing that privilege, and again, I hesitate to use the word privilege, I don't mean that in the sense of being a good thing, obviously. Uh, that entitlement, that whatever you want to call it, that extra power of judge, jury, and execution over your own ch- children, removing that from you doesn't make you a second-class citizen. That actually brings you closer to equality. So what you're experiencing, what this woman in the video, what she's experiencing, and how distraught she's feeling, and uh, all the distress, that is the feeling of getting closer to actual equality. But for you, the trip to, this is why it's, it's so distressing for you and so difficult, is that for you, the trip to equality means going down, basically. It doesn't mean climbing up. Now, when you climb up and you achieve equality because in the past, your equality had been taken from you and you were made unequal, you were, you were put below other people, and then you're given equality. Now, this is a celebratory occasion, right? But in this case, this is a, a legal power which you never should have had and it's been taken away. A privilege has been taken away, and now you're equal with men, and that neither man nor woman can legally kill a child. In, in some U.S. states, anyway, and in plenty of other states, uh, they, they still have that privilege. But leaving aside, I just said I was going to leave aside the content because it's nonsense, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, if we could leave that aside for a moment, what she's doing here obviously should be not only getting, shouldn't mean not only getting kicked out of the military, but being arrested also. Uh, because you are now by your own profession, a traitor to the United States, you know, questioning your own loyalty to the United States. But this is the consequence of <clears throat> bringing people into the military in a way that, that uh, 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 where, where we are presenting the military as not a place of uniformity, a place where you work together as a team, um, a place of uh, discipline and obedience. I mean, that's what the military has always been historically, both in this country and every other country on earth up until very recent times. But now we sell the military, and I say we, I mean, like the, the, uh, the bureaucrats in D.C. sell it through their recruitment campaigns. They sell as an opportunity to express your individualism, an opportunity to, you know, truly be yourself, uh, to truly you know, fulfill your own personal destiny and all that kind of stuff. So when you, when you highlight individuality in the military, this is what you end up with. People on camera whining about a Supreme Court decision and saying, that, well, I don't know if I can defend the United States anymore. Which, which by the way, that's, that's not much of a threat to us. Like, if, if you feel like you can't do your job anymore, then please just leave. You should be kicked out. You should be fired. You should be arrested, but you're not going to be. So if you feel like you can't do it, then absolutely. Just it, it's, we're, we're not going to be any worse off without you, that woman in the TikTok video. We're not going to be any worse off without you. I don't think anyone, if you leave the military, I don't think anyone is going to feel less safe now that you're not in it. So take some solace in that, I guess. Uh, one other thing, kind of on the same topic, this is from the New York Post. It says, a pregnant 
Texas woman who was given a traffic ticket for driving solo in an HOV lane and tends to fight the citation, arguing that her fetus should be considered a separate person given the Lone Star State's views on abortion. Mother B. Brandy Batone, 34, told the Dallas Morning News that she was given the ticket on June 29th after being pulled over by police while driving on a highway near the city. Um, She told the newspaper, quote, I was driving to pick up my son. I knew I couldn't be a minute late, so I took the HOV lane. As I exited the HOV lane, there was a checkpoint at the end of the exit. I slammed on my brakes and I was pulled over by police. Uh, The cop asked if she had a passenger with her and she responded that, in fact, she did. I pointed to my stomach and said, my baby girl is right here. This, she is a person. Um, he said, oh no, it's going to be two people outside of the body. That's what it has to be. So now she's fighting in a court saying that, well, it's pretty clear from the context here that she's, she's pro-abortion. And so this was her way. This was a kind of gotcha moment here um, against the, the pro-lifer saying, hey, you see what happens? You see, you get rid of abortion and now all of a sudden there's confusion in the HOV lane. And I guess she expects that we as pro-lifers will say, well, never mind then. Well, I thought that it would be good to stop killing babies. But if we don't, if you're telling me that, uh, that getting rid of abortion means that there's slight confusion in the HOV lane, well, then never mind. Let's just kill the babies again. That's a price that we simply can't pay. Now, there is an easy way around this if you want to preserve the integrity of the HOV lane and also um, not kill babies. Like if you want to do both of those things, the way around it is to say that... Uh, you have to have passengers in a passenger seat. That's what we mean by HOV. So that's the way around it. Very Just a, a really simple clarification I think we get around this. Or here's what I would prefer. Just get rid of the stupid HOV lane to begin with. Okay, so which, which, is, which is not a bad thing as far as I'm concerned. So this is another example of Democrats proposing something very attractive as a way to punish us for banning abortion. And in this case, the, the implication is that we'd have to abolish the carpool lane if we don't have abortion anymore, which great, let's do that because the left lane is supposed to be for people driving fast. Who cares how many people are in the, in the car with you? If you want to be in the leftmost lane, then you should just be driving fast. You should be driving a lot faster than the cars in the other lane. That's the only qualification that there should be on the left lane. And that should be rigidly enforced as far as I'm concerned. I mean, people who go like five miles under the limit in the, in the, speed, in the fast lane, I, like forget about fining. We should be pulling them over and putting them in jail for, for 30 days to let them think about it. Um, and that's fine with me. So let's just do that. Uh, but this is, this, is what the, this is what the Democrats have been doing, is in proposing things that claiming that there are implications to get rid of, getting rid of abortion, and those implications are actually great. Here's another one. This is uh, Jack uh, Cochiarella, I guess. He's a Democrat strategist. He tweeted this yesterday or a couple days ago. He said, if Republicans really believe life begins at conception, shouldn't someone who is pregnant be allowed to claim their baby as a dependent on their taxes? Sounds great. Let's do that too. It's fantastic. Get rid of the HOV lane. Only have a fast lane. You drive. You drive fast in the left lane. Fantastic. Um, claim a depend. You know you can claim your unborn child as a dependent on your taxes. That means a tax break. So that's great too. What does he imagine? This is a Democrat strategist who has no idea. He does. He's supposed to be a strategist for the Democrats, which should mean that he's an expert on Republicans and conservatives. His opponents. He should know us like the back of his own hand. He has no understanding of us whatsoever. He thinks that he can threaten us with a tax break. This is just like the ones that, you know, the people that are saying, well, if we don't have abortion, then uh, that means that we're going to have to have abstinence before marriage, right? It's the end of hookup culture. Great. Awesome. Well, if we don't have abortion, well, that means that we have to require men. Great. I turned that off. Well, if we don't have abortion, that means we have to require men to uh, care for their babies right, from conception. Uh, you wouldn't want that, would you? No, I do want that. All this is great. Abstinence before marriage, get rid of the carpool lane, tax breaks, men taking care of their kids. The, these are, according to the opponents of, um, of pro-lifers, according to the pro-aborts themselves, these are the consequences of getting rid of abortion. So it's just, it's win upon win upon win. 
I see nothing but upside. And when I think that uh, we've seen all the upside we could possibly see, they give us some more upside. And the great thing is that I didn't need any upside other than we're not killing babies anymore. That would have been good enough for me. I didn't need any of this other this extra stuff. But this is just, you know, whipped cream, cherry, sprinkles on top. This is everything. we got the whole ice cream sundae now. Um, all right. One other quick thing I want to mention before we get to the comment section. It says, uh, this is from the Daily Mail. So the Church of England has admitted that it does not have a definition of the word woman. A bishop said yesterday that the meaning of the word used to be self-evident, but he added that there are now complexities associated with gender identity, which a church project about sexuality and relationships is exploring. So this is their official statement. They're exploring what a woman is, but right now there's no official definition. The thing that makes this so fantastic is that for years and years, the Church of England has bragged about that the fact that they have woman priests and uh, woman bishops. They had their first... Their first woman priest was back in the 1990s, and they were they were one of the, the earliest churches to you know, institute this policy of having women priests, and then they had women bishops and everything. And they've been bragging about that for years, up until 30 seconds ago. And now they're saying, well, on second thought, I don't actually know what a woman is. It's, 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 forget all of that. The first, I looked this up, the first woman priest, Angela Berners Wilson, in 1994, was the first woman ordained as a priest in the Church of England. And she's been very excited about that for the last, um, you know, for the last few decades. And she's been talking. That's now been ta- this has been taken away from from Angela Berners Wilson, from Father Angela Berners Wilson. This is taken away because we don't even know what a woman is. So how can we talk about? Uh, how can we celebrate having woman priests and woman bishops? The left continues to eat itself, and it's just a glorious sight to behold. Now let's get to our comment section. Well, we didn't have uh, a show last week, so we don't have show comments for the comment section. Uh, Instead, I thought that I'll read some comments under a video we posted while we were away. We posted a bunch of new content, even though we weren't here, uh, which you can go to my YouTube channel if you haven't and, and, and check some of that out. Um, and I think the most important video that we put out, I, w- I ranked the five worst superheroes. And because I'm, of course, an expert on the subject, it turns out that the worst superheroes are all the, the female ones. I didn't decide that. Okay, this is not my, well, it was my list, but I, I was just looking at the facts is all. And as it turned out, it just, it just kind of, it shook out in a way where it turned out that, um, that all the, the worst superheroes were women. And so there were a lot of interesting comments to that video. I thought I'd read a few of them. This one's from Lulu. Says, Matt, 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 were you given any context for these characters? Black Widow isn't just a skinny little female. She's one of the most talented assassins in the MCU's world. As a child, she was indoctrinated into the Red Room. After she graduated from the Red Room, she spent many years working for the KGB before defecting to work as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. She mastered not only martial arts, but also marksmanship, interrogation, and so much more. The reason she's so skilled is because she has no superpowers. Wait, what? She had to work hard to become strong, but she isn't just some overpowered, omnipotent character. She has her strict... This goes on and on and on forever. This person's like a biographer of Black Widow from from a Marvel Universe. Um, and, and then uh, he continues... I think this is allegedly a, oh, also a Lulu. So, you know, these days, who knows what person would be attached to that name. He said that, uh, let's see, having got intel she needed, she dropped the helpless act and took down the general and his men who had all let down their guards. Still think she's a skinny little female, Matt? Yeah, I do. Okay, because the, the look, uh, as I said in that video, again, really important issue, is that she, not only do we have the absurdity of a female action hero who's just like beating up a bunch of men all at once. Well, not even all at once, because you notice the bad guys, this happens in a lot of action films, but especially the ones where there's a female protagonist, the bad guys, even though they're bad guys, they are at least polite and they have a good sense of sportsmanship. So they only attack one at a time. So there's a whole group of bad guys and they just take turns attacking the woman. And then she she you know knocks them each out with one punch to the head. 
That's ridiculous enough as it is in any action film. But then when you consider that she's the, a, a member of this superhero team and everybody else, they have literal godlike powers and yet they have use for this 90 pound, five foot two blonde woman because she can throw a punch better than your average blonde woman. It's, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Professor Logo says, I like Matt a lot, but I feel like he's missing the part of the brain that allows people to have fun. He's like this in response to anything that is just plain fun. No, I think there are a lot of things that, that are fun. I like fishing, for example. Um, I could list other things that I think are fun. Um, I'll get back to you on that in a moment. But my issue here is that this, is, this, this actually is not fun. You should not have fun watching superhero movies. They're cynical they're cynical in the way, here's, what, here's how they're cynical, uh, in the way that they treat the audience, okay, the way that they treat you. They just give you the same slop over and over and over again, making no attempt to tell an interesting or different story, making no attempt at all, just feeding you the same thing over and over again, no, because they assume that you'll just come and watch it, because you have no respect for yourself. And the really sad thing is that oftentimes their assumptions are correct. Um, let's see. Dibs Dib says, not a fan of hers, Wonder Woman, but it's Themyscirin armor. She has a healing factor and super speed. Justice League was better with the bullet deflecting because Zack Snyder actually made her move that fast. Uh, okay. Mavericks doesn't like what I said about the Hulk. He says, the Hulk is so much more than that. His powers are a reflection and consequence of him being abused by his father. That anger and depression is what triggers him to transform into the Hulk with gamma rays. And that's very adult and interesting. <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> he, he, the man gets big and green and, and strong because he's mad at his father. That's very adult and interesting. Sorry, but no seven-year-old can make that up so easily. That's exactly what a seven-year-old would make up. That's what I, my point about the Hulk. And uh, yeah, he is one of the better superheroes. But that's not saying much. You know, it's a low bar. But he's also the kind of superhero that every seven-year-old boy just invents independently. And then they discover that this already exists out there, at least in the fantasy world. It's just a guy that gets big and green and strong. That's all it is. And so you're, you're suggest, you are trying to rebut that claim by me by pointing out that he only gets, he only gets like that because he's angry at his, at his parents. I think you just proved my point. I don't know. But... Thank you anyway to all the uh, nerds who responded to that, uh, to that video, and I'll, I'll take your comments into consideration before I just dismiss them out of hand. You know, with the price of literally everything skyrocketing, there's never been a better time to get your finances in order. Yesterday, Ben released a brand new episode of Sunday Special that uh, just might help you do that. It's available now at dailywire.com. Uh, dailywireplus.com, rather. That's the new one, dailywireplus.com. This features a very special guest, best-selling author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. That book is still as relevant as it was when it first appeared 25 years ago. With the perfect storm of inflation and recession and an educational system that's turning people against the value of free markets, Robert has something to say about all of this, and you want to listen to it. His book, his new book, The Capitalist Manifesto, is a direct response to these current times. In this episode of Sunday Special, Robert tells us how he discovered capitalism growing up explains the difference between good and bad debt and how the Biden administration compares uh, to that of his longtime friend and collaborator, former President Trump. All of that in this special. Speaking of great value, when you become a Daily Wire Plus member, you also get access to our extensive content library that includes documentaries like What is a Woman, which you may have heard of, docu-series like Fauci Unmasked, hosted by Michael Knowles, Jordan Peterson's archive of content, and so much more. Help us build the future that you want to see. Become a member at Daily Wire plus.com and check out the latest episode of Sunday special. That's dailywireplus.com today. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, it only took a month, but finally, while I was away on vacation, the mainstream media uh, deigned to acknowledge the existence of my film, What is a Woman, which is still available to watch, by the way, at whatisawoman.com. In an article in, a, in the uh, prestige scumrag New York magazine titled, the right's dangerous, just-asking-questions anti-trans campaign is working. Writer Malcolm Harris offers something of a, I guess, a review of the documentary. Although, as we'll see, he spends most of the time reviewing a version of the film that I didn't make. 
but which he wishes I had made. So it begins with this claim. He writes, quote, over time, words change, stretched by the practicalities of real world usage or our language evolves and warps. It's an organic, unavoidable, and even auspicious process. Now, we can already see the difficulty here. Harris conflates warp and evolve as though the two are synonyms, but they're not. And what could be more revealing than somebody on the left thinking that warp and evolve are the same idea? They're not at all. Um, what has happened to the word woman in modern times and, and so many other words besides that one is an example of language being warped, but it's not an example of language evolving. Okay, language evolves gradually, organically, in order to make meaning more clear in common usage. But what's happened with the word woman has not been gradual, it has not been organic, and it certainly has not made the meaning of the word more clear. This is a top-down decree from people with institutional power simply declaring all at once that the word no longer means what humans for millennia thought it meant. Not only that, but anyone who insists on the old meaning is subject to various penalties. Okay, that's that's not language evolution. That, that's always a good hint, by the way. When there's when 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 language has changed, and um, there's there are penalties put in place for people who don't keep up with the change, that's a pretty good indication that it's not actually evolution of language, because evolu evolution of language, natural evolution of language, doesn't have its own law enforcement arm that goes with it. Okay. This, this is what it looks like when language is forcibly warped. It's not what it looks like when language evolves. Harris can't tell the difference between the two, and that's his first problem, though it's certainly not his only one. Now he continues, the new anti-trans documentary, What is a Woman?, begs its title question, not in the sense of suggesting it, but in the fallacious way of assuming its own answer. Despite mountains of evidence, the movie's producers and on-screen guide, right-wing pundit Matt Walsh, do not believe that people can change their gender. Actually, as Walsh reveals by the end, he doesn't accept that humans express gender at all. He hand waves at chromosomes once or twice, but he leans hardest on common sense. There are boys and girls, men and women, males and females, penises and vaginas. Mountains of evidence, he says. Now, it should already go without saying that Harris never provides any of this evidence. There's a whole mountain of it out there, supposedly, and yet he doesn't extract even one pebble from this mountain and present it to us. There's no link, there's no citation, there are no examples. The mountain is invisible, it would seem. But it's there, okay? And it's really, really big, you guys. But we just have to take his word for it, is all. Next, hilariously, you know, he heard, you heard me there, you heard him there. He, he chides me for leaning hard on common sense, as if that's a bad thing. We already know that using common sense is the ultimate sin, the great heresy on the left. You're not supposed to rely on common sense. That is, you're not supposed to rely on the fundamental understanding of reality shared by nearly everyone who's ever lived. That's what common sense is. Instead, you're supposed to rely on the uncommon and insensible sense of guys like Malcolm Harris. And yet, merely a sentence after accusing me of using common sense, accusing me of it, Harris switches gears and declares that the film and all of my ideas about gender are rooted in religious precepts. He writes, quote, by disguising a religious precept as a reasonable question, Walsh and his team have set out to win new friends and encourage existing allies at the same time. It's an effective strategy, and the majority of us who understand the factual existence of trans people can't afford to ignore them. Matt Walsh is a Christian, and he believes that his God is the source of our shared single nature. He also believes that his God is my God and your God and everyone's God. Quote, God exists. God is existence. God is reality. God is permanent, inexhaustible, unending. God is identity. The origin of our own identity is found in God, he writes in 2017's. The unholy trinity blocking the left's assault on life, marriage, and gender. Transgenderism, as he calls it, always in scare quotes, uh, it means that man achieves his final victory over truth and truth's God. Okay, it's clear from what he might charitably, what we might charitably call his writings that Walsh is a Christian fundamentalist who is personally and professionally dedicated to making sure God's law is law. And yet, in his biggest, most prominent piece of content yet, Walsh never talks about his God at all, a curious omission in a movie about reality and identity. Now, he goes on from here, continuing to quote a book I wrote five years ago, calling me a religious fundamentalist. Uh, he, mo he mocks ideas like transubstantiation. Um, he calls fans of my movie my co-religionists. Now, I hate to say I told you so uh, to those conservatives who criticized my film for not having an explicitly biblical message, 
but uh, I told you so. It is strikingly clear from this New York Times, mag- this New York Magazine article, that the opponents of the film really wish that I had framed it in religious terms. They want our arguments on this topic to be entirely faith-based and biblical. They desperately need us to be seen as making a religious case because they are making a religious case. They want the, the war over biology to be a holy war, our religion against theirs. Then we can't criticize them for being doctrinal and dogmatic because we're being the same way. We would all be in the same boat, or maybe if not in the same boat, we would be in different boats floating on the same sea. But there's no reason for us to play the game on those terms. I am a devoutly religious person. I, of course, stand by everything I said in, the, in my book that he quoted there. All of that is 100% true, and I'm proud that I wrote it, and I'm glad that he quoted it. But um, that has absolutely nothing at all to do with my conviction that women have babies and men don't. Okay, I didn't learn that from my religion. And even if I didn't believe in my religion, I would still recognize this truth just as I would know that two plus two equals four, no matter if I was a Christian or a Hindu or a Buddhist or an atheist. They are the religionists on this issue. The writer of this article so badly needs to argue the matter on religious terms that he's simply inventing a religious angle that doesn't exist in the film and arguing against that instead. So he's basically saying, well, you didn't make it uh, this your argument religious, but I know that it's really religious, so I'm going to argue against it as if it is. Later, he writes, quote, What is a woman throws trans women's existence into question? The form of inquiry can be divorced from its content, and to ask if trans women are really women is not just asking questions, especially if a bigot deity has already told you the answer, and especially if you're spending a pile of cash on advertising. So there he is again, bringing God into a review of a film that, as he admits, or rather laments, never mentions God at all. He also says that the movie uh, throws trans women's existence into question. Though, of course, I don't at all question the existence of people who identify themselves as trans women. Those individual human beings do certainly exist. If they didn't, there'd be no need for the movie. What I question are the claims those people make about themselves. So the people exist, absolutely, um, but they, they make claims about the world and about themselves, and uh, some of those claims are incorrect. That is my contention. Just as I don't deny the existence of anorexics, though I do deny the reality and factual validity of their self-perception, specifically the perception of themselves as obese. I deny that. More from the article says, if you press play on what is a woman, which I advise not doing, with the accurate factual knowledge that some women are trans, I have a hard time imagining anything Walsh has to offer will confuse you. Anyone with some background on the topic knows that the anti-trans interviewees, which include a hateful doctor, a regretful phalloplasty recipient, and a sore loser cis student athlete, are not representative figures. So we have another gear shift here as he goes from admitting that the film is devastatingly effective, I mean, he says so right in the headline, to shrugging it off as sort of weak and irrelevant. He also demonstrates how the transgender gives men license to say things about women that they would never get away with saying otherwise. So here he just scornfully writes off a young woman who simply wants a fair playing field, calling her a sore loser. That men can only talk about women and to women in that way, in the context of the trans debate. That's the only time that's ever allowed. Then, um, after accusing me of deliberately inciting violence, he wraps things up this way. He says, quote, If that's the anti-trans playbook, then Walsh is a player coach leading by example. With what is a woman, they've spent millions to take the strategy to a new level. The plan is working. This year's Pride Month looks to have a casualty count. If Walsh and his ilk are successful, next year's will be higher. They're begging for it. Now, bucking the trend throughout most of the article, he does attempt to provide some evidence for the Pride Month casualty count claim. So he links to an article in the Baltimore Sun from a a few weeks ago about a row home fire in the city, which uh, occurred across the street from where somebody allegedly burned a pride flag. And a few people were injured in in the house fire. Now, there's no known connection between the alleged flag burning and the house fire. So again, there was across the street, they found allegedly a pride flag that had apparently been burned. And then, and, then, and then on the other side of the street, there was a house fire. 
One did not cause or lead to the other, as far as anybody knows. Um, no cause has been determined of either fire. Nobody knows if the house fire was deliberate. And if it was, we don't know why it was started. So we know noth- none of that whatsoever. So there are, there are about four or five leaps you'd have to make to connect the house fire to anti-LGBT sentiment. And then there's another one or two leaps to, con- to continue the connection all the way to my film. Yet this is the best Harris can do. It's not his fault. It's very difficult to find real examples of actual anti-LGBT violence because it hardly ever happens. That doesn't stop him from suggesting that there's an epidemic of a type of violence for which he could not find even one confirmed example. That, of course, is the common theme with Harris and his ilk. The facts don't stop them. They simply shout their bald assertions and then cover their ears in case anyone shouts back. That's why Harris, by the way, locked down his Twitter account and went to private as soon as his article was published. That's how you know someone's really confident in what they wrote, right? They, they publish it and they lock everything down and go hide. And so hiding under his bed, you know, he may not be able to hear me say it, but I must say it all the same to Malcolm Harris of the New York Magazine. You are today canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Dodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Jeff Tomlin. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 